I'm Bernie Bolger. And I'm Robbie Armfield. Welcome to Meet the Movies. I happen to really enjoy this movie. I've seen it about three times now. The main character of wow. this film. Wow, actor is in this film. The way the lens flare comes across it's not there. not really my thing. Sorry. Thumbs down. Not going to see that one again. I'm giving this one four stars. One of the best actors. I hadn't thought of it like that. And the lights came up. I know I'm in for something special. Art house can be good. Yeah. I'm giving this one mm, three stars. Another Indiana Jones. Go and watch it. It's worth your while. I loved the movie. The movie. The movie. Meet the movies. Well, it's time for Meet the Movies, where we bring the movie magic to you. To you. Have you seen The Room? Hi. Can I help you? Yeah, can I have a dozen red roses, please? Oh, hi, Johnny. I didn't know it was you. Here you go. That's me. How much is it? It'll be $18. Here you go. Keep the change. Hi, doggie. You're my favorite customer. Thanks a lot. Bye. Well, it's a cult classic. It's widely regarded to be the best, worst movie ever made, the Citizen Kane of bad movies, so they say. Riddled with dead-end plot points, bizarre staging, continuity errors, unnecessary dialogue, and long-winded sex scenes that are slightly uncomfortable. It was a $6 million project written, directed, produced, starring, and funded entirely by one eccentric enigma name of Tommy Wiseau. It's celebrating its 20th anniversary this year at the Hayden Orpheum in Cremorne, a place that has become a home for the cult film. The screening will include live commentary and a Q&A with the star, Greg Sestero, who kindly joins us here in the, stu- in the studio. Oh, hi, Greg. Oh, hey, guys. Long-winded <laughs> sex scenes is uh, a pretty accurate description. So, Greg, 20 years later, mate, how's your sex <laughs> life? <laughs> um... You know, it's it's definitely better than the film, but uh, it's not saying much. Yeah, I think it's just surreal to think 20 years later. It um, really is. That people are still watching this movie. Sydney is a huge supporter of this movie. It's been screening here, I think, over 13 years. It's the third highest grossing film at the Orpheum. That's just crazy. So I, um, it's really baffling. I mean, to make a movie, you didn't think anybody would ever see... And people still are talking about it, watching it. Um, and and anytime I come to Australia, just the the passion that that people bring. I was um, last time I was here, there was a gentleman who came to the screening, and he came up to me and he was, he was talking to me about this tough, really tough time he went through, and he had these signatures tattooed on his arm, and he said these three signatures got me through the hardest times of my life. And so I look at him, I notice my signature. Wow. And he's like, I listened to your audiobook and and watched them. And it was like, it brought me, you know, so much joy and it worked, you know, got me out of this. And I was like, it, it was just like to see the sincerity, sincerity in his eyes mm. of what this meant to him. I thought, you know, it's crazy. This came about from a, from a bad movie, but it was just really moving to see like how much it mattered to him. And then I was like, so, Who's the other signature? He's like, oh, Quentin Tarantino. <laughs> I was like, and so he would, you know, we, I just seeing how it, how this movie has traveled around the world and the story. Um, it's just always great to, to come here. I feel like, you know, I've been a lot of places, but 
Australians really like they make you feel welcome. So, Greg, for those who are listening who have no idea what the room is, can you explain? <sighs> so, what the this room movie is, is a, a movie that was made, shot 21 years ago, released 20 years ago. It's supposed to be a movie, a romantic love triangle, like, um, you know, Talented Mr. Ripley, Rebel Without a Cause, Streetcar Named Desire, a classic drama. But really what it turned into when, when people watch it, it's almost like as if an alien came down from outer space, studied soap operas for a week, studied human interaction, went back to its planet and made a movie like that tried to imitate that. <laughs> That's really what the room is. It's shot on two formats at the same time. So it's shot on 35 millimeter film, which is what big movie shot at the time, and HD. So when you're watching it, it's got a relatively like professional crew it's got film but then from the first line you're you're blown away <laughs> you're just sort of like what who who let this happen and and you just like from people i've talked to they're like we can't we can't look away um so it's yeah it's it's a movie that you really can't find anywhere else like it, it's the perfect storm it's somebody who had full creative control has a different view of the world and life and everything that that basically made this thing. So you couldn't recreate it. It's it's one of those things you have to see with a crowd. You touched on your book, The Disaster Artist, which I'm keen to touch on later, and the sort of feverish response to this movie, particularly in Australia. What do you think is the enduring appeal of it in Australia? Why do you think Australians like this so much? I think Australians have a really good sense of humor. They feel very open-minded to weird stuff, <laughs> yeah. especially foreign stuff like that. Because, again, the room is something like you could never conceive mm. it exists. And so, what I've always noticed very early on is Australians just genuinely appreciate it. I think when you go to other countries, there's sort of a mockingness to it, naturally. Obviously, it's a very foreign-type film. But, um, yeah, there's just a general genuine rowdiness that comes from these screenings and um since 2009 i've received messages from australians of how much they enjoy this film and um like i said anytime i come down they're always saying hey, let's go out for a drink or like, like they genuinely enjoy it and i think because it's just so organically weird um and i think they appreciate that comedy and greg you must have you, i mean you've been around this movie for 20 years now what is your relationship with this movie what do you have a favorite moment and has that changed over the course of two decades so you know for me it was i was sort of like the first fan i think because i met tommy in an acting class and i saw that you know berserker charisma there and i was like i just kind of was the only one um so making this movie i didn't think anybody would ever see it um so i really love um like the high mark stuff those just those pure lines like love is blind uh that's sick in your head i mean this movie believe it or not is so is so quotable and so i think for me those moments uh like at the birthday party when he's like i'm fed up with this world you know little things like that that are so true to who he is i i, I really enjoy i don't really watch the movie much i'm gonna watch it tonight at the Orpheum, I'm going to do live commentary and to give give some PTSD of some of these scenes, some tidbits watching it. So, um, 
but having watched it a little bit more this year for the 20 year anniversary, it's definitely, it's definitely fun. Like, especially when it gets into the birthday party and the crowd's going nuts and they're yelling stuff at the screen. It honestly never gets old. Um, it's, it's weird. Let's have a listen now to a bit of the room. This is the rooftop scene where the, uh, one of the famous lines comes from. Oh, hi, Mark. Oh, hey, Johnny. What's up? I have a problem with Lisa. She said that I hit her. <sighs> what? Well, did you? No, it's not true. Don't even ask. What's new with you? Well, I'm just sitting up here thinking, you know. I got a question for you. Yeah. You think girls like to cheat like guys do? What makes you say that? I don't know. I don't know. I'm just... I'm just thinking. I don't have to worry about that because Lisa is loyal to me. Yeah, man, you never know. People are very strange these days. I used to know a girl. She had a dozen guys. One of them found out about it, beat her up so bad she ended up in a hospital on Guerrero Street. <laughs> what a story, Mark. Yeah, you can say that again. We obviously heard a bit from Tommy there. Tommy Wiseau, the enigma that funded, starred everything with The Room, 20th anniversary this year, monumental occasion. What's your relationship like with Tommy now, if you feel comfortable to talk yeah, about Yeah, so we met 25 years ago. Um, still talk a lot. As you'd think... After all these things that have happened, the movie, the book, the making of the book, um, you know, not much has changed. You know, still phone calls talking about funny stuff. It's still that same dynamic. Um, there's just something, there's always a surprise when you, when you talk to Tommy. And so it's, you know, as long as I've known him, there's still a lot of mystery. There's still a lot of things that like still organically fun. Um, so yeah, it's just, it's a lot like watching the room. Was there a moment, Greg, uh, early in your friendship with, uh, Tommy where you knew you would be destined to be friends forever? Um, there was a moment early on, like I approached him to be scene partners and he was sort of confused cause he's just had this big fight with the teacher. He's like, why does this guy want to work with me? And he's like, yeah, we can try, you know, meet, meet me at bank. <laughs> tomorrow at 3 30 i was like oh he works at a works at a bank he's like no i don't work there i just meet there <laughs> so i i again i thought i thought he was really just fascinating um and so that's sort of that's just sort of how it started greg i feel as if the things that you've made since your experience in the room in my personal opinion have been colored by it quite a lot your memoir with Tom Bissell, the disaster artist, about meeting and working with him, and its dramatised version by Seth Rogen and James and Dave Franco, um, and Best Fiends, of course. Do you believe in fate? Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, I do. I So back to what I was saying, when I, you know, when I met Tommy, there was always something quirky, and, and when I approached him, there's some awkwardness going on. I'm like, yeah, why did I put myself in this position? Like, he was like, oh, I need to eat. I get cranky if I don't eat. Sort of like yelling and then and then we had this moment we were at a dinner one night and um he told me you know my dreams have my own planet and i'm like Whoa. okay he started talking about like this planet and these things and i remember there was this sort of like blurry thing or like something's gonna happen with this guy mm. it was like there's never anything scary it was already like i started to kind of comprehend it i kind of plugged in i was like something's gonna happen with this guy it was this really weird sensation that I won't forget. So I think there was sort of a kindred spirit there. Um, never did I think this could happen. But 
I think it was all meant to go down because right before I met Tommy, I had gone, I'd had three auditions, three callbacks to get this role in this movie. And I was for sure going to get it. It seemed it was going to happen. And then casting director agent called. They're like, nah, we went with a punkier version. And I remember just thinking, I don't know what I'm going to do next. There's not a lot of opportunities in San Francisco. What's going to happen to me? And I remember thinking, I was like, why even go to acting class? And I remember the only reason I went is because I knew Tommy was going to perform Shakespeare. And I was like, I got to see this guy, what he's going to do. That's the only reason I went. So a lot of times we see those things as, you know, that movie, I never remember it coming out. Um, But what it turned into is this, you know, me meeting Tommy and that whole journey. So fate plays a huge, huge part in it. And I've learned, especially with The Room, you can't force things like mm. whatever I was trying so hard to get everything else that wasn't the room. Right. And then it's sort of what I was kind of pushed into or pulled into and I didn't see anything there. And it ended up being something that people really love. So what I do now is I put every, everything I do, I put my heart and soul into. If it's great. Awesome. If it doesn't land, you move on and you just say, it's not meant to be. So swift the rain falling in. Gonna see a movie called Gunga Den. Pack up your money, pull up your tent, McGuinn. You ain't a going nowhere. Ooh, we ride me high. Tomorrow's the day that my brides are gonna come. Ooh, we are we gonna fly down into the easy chair. The trailer for his recent movie, Big Shark, appeared in 2019 with you in it. Here's a clip. Hey, guys. Oh, hi. Patrick. Benny. This is Tim and Georgie. Yeah, we're having a good beer. Beer is chilling. Just having a good night. You are a jerk. Oh, what? Whoa. Come on. Whoa. This is for my best friend. Dick. Tommy. <laughs> what did you do? Are you okay? What did you yeah. do? Mom, Tam, your car's this way. It's over this one. How's your face feel? Feels good. Water, look at that. Oh, my God. Ah! 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 So 2019, the trailer for Big Shark drops with you in it, and last week premiered at the Hayden Orpheum in Cremorne, and you were nowhere to be seen. What's <laughs> what's the story? I just did get along with the shark. <laughs> did you get a chance to see it? I did, yeah, last yeah. week. Yeah, okay. amazing. Um, yeah, so I was in the trailer. We shot that just in like one night. Um, it was worth it because I, I showed it, my mom saw it and she had never seen her laugh harder because she just like, she's like, you look so miserable in this trailer. Um, and so, yeah. And then 2020 happened and anyway, it's like a lot of stuff. Mm. And then Tommy ended up having to make it. I wasn't around. So uh, I did get a chance to see it and uh, had fun, fun with it. And it's cool. He's still out there making things happen. It's hard to make movies. And, you know, he wanted to make this thing. He had talked about it and more power to him that he uh, went out there and did it. I um, yeah, I, I I don't think I fit into this project. Um, so, but I'm I'm glad he glad he did it. Yeah, spoiler alert. Um, 
your character gets killed off. So okay, yeah, it's uh, so I avoid dodge getting, a bullet. I avoid getting eaten by. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> if you feel comfortable, I'd love to know how your mother feels about your career at this point because I know it's a big factor in your book, The Disaster Artist. Mm-hmm. She didn't look very favorably on sure. on your career choice. Yeah, so I mean, she had. There's a lot of wisdom there. I think when you're a parent, and you look out for your kids. You've had a lot of life experience, and they want to pursue things, and you kind of want to give them a shortcut to happiness. And she just saw Hollywood as a joke, and it's all about connections and nepotism, and a lot of truth there. She didn't want me to go and waste precious years. Um, and that's sort of the beauty of of you know a mom and kid relationship where you're coming up, you have new visions, new, you know, new generation, new passions. And that's sort of the beauty of life is getting a chance to pursue those, you know, maybe the road map that she had, you know, work for her, but it's not gonna work for me. So we definitely, that was, we were always close, but that was definitely always a thing where she wanted the traditional path. And I never really believed in that. And so that was a problem for a long time. And, and, you know, now recently, I mean, she's always going to support what's going to make you happy. So I think, um, I think she said recently that <laughs> she's like, you're lucky that, um, you know, you got the room because in, in, in Hollywood and show business, like it's really, that's what a lot of it's about. Just getting in something that people see and getting traction. And, um, you know, some people are lucky to have, you know, great team and make a lot of great films. Some people get nothing. So I think she definitely sees the room now all these years later as a, a strange blessing. Yeah. Uh, she does not get it. I think <laughs> most like, like I don't as well, but I mean, I definitely get it more than she does, but I think she just thinks it's sort of an amazing story. Uh, especially my, my dad is like, I can't believe people still go see it. It's not something I'm, I've ever, you know, been familiar with. So I uh, I think she's happy with it, and I think you know again we're lucky to be in something that makes people happy. That's kind of the name of the game. So uh, I think after all these years, she's supportive. I think uh, I think that's uh, touched on something there, Greg. There's that maternal thing where like there's this strange man, and she's kind of protective of maybe him taking advantage of you or something as like an up and coming actor. And it seemed this relationship might have been too good to be true, but in fact, it was actually just a really unique and special relationship. Do you think that um, if Tommy were to approach you, having not had known him for many decades, today, if he had approached you today with The Room, pitched you with it, would you do it? And what would you do differently knowing what you know now? Yeah, that's sort of, again, that's sort of... Uh, the beauty when you're at that age. There's this great quote by an author I really like called your, or no, I think it was Robin Williams. Um, he basically said the same thing. He's like, you're given a you know, small spark of madness. Don't lose it. And I think that's really true because at that time, yeah, at that age, you're way more open to adventure, to craziness, to someone like Tommy, you know, as opposed to when you've, you know, at this point, you're like, your judgment, you're like, this, this isn't going to go well. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but uh, I'm I'm very thankful that I was open minded and and did it during that time. Like being roommates with Tommy at 21, 22 was was a, a, a amazing story, an amazing experience. But at this point, I don't think it'd be something that um, I'd be as open to. But 
you know, I really want to make sure that hopefully my judgment's gotten better where I'm still willing to accept crazy and, and produce those kind of things, but maybe in a more controlled environment. Um, I know Tommy's coming to me with, with other projects and we did do best friends, which I, I found that was a really engaging experience because we were honing in on whatever Tommy's character is and trying to utilize it and give people something, a, a new film that they could yeah. watch like a new form of entertainment. So, I, I don't think I would be as open to um, that kind of craziness, but hopefully it may be a more uh, mature, <laughs> mature version, I think would be fun. Time now for a special review from the one and only Sophie Gordon. Today, she's tackling A24's You Hurt My Feelings. Oh, my God. Wait, Beth. Beth. Oh, my God. I think they were talking about something else. Oh, I can't believe this. No, I mean, maybe we just hurt. I'm going to be sick. Oh, no. You are? Yeah, I think I'm going to throw up. Right over there. Right over there. Right over there. Oh, God. Right here? Oh, God. Oh, no, I don't think I can. I can't. He loves you more than life itself. What does that have to do with anything I'm here? I'm saying that he doesn't love your book, okay? He doesn't love your book. I mean, who cares? Do you understand? I've been working on this book for two years, uh-huh. right? I've given him, like, a million drafts to read. And every time he reads it, every single time, he tells me how much he loves it. Every single time! Because he just doesn't, like... You know, get it or whatever. And now my hands have gone numb. Yeah, take for a, real. Okay, can you take a deep breath? I am breathing, Sarah. All right. Would you just? You're gonna talk to him. Well, that's a joke. I am never gonna be able to look him in the face ever again. Okay, that's over. Do you ever reflect on the little white lies that you tell your partner or your best friends? When does it stop being supportive and actually become dishonest? It's definitely something that I consider as someone whose partner is a creative. He's a musician. I recently watched the A24 film You Hurt My Feelings, which is written, directed, and produced by Nicole Holofcener, who is someone that um, movie people seem to know. It stars Julia Louis-Dreyfus as writer Beth, who wrote a successful memoir, but that was years ago, even though she's still... Um, taking it off shelves and putting it out on display sneakily in the various bookshops that she passes by in New York City. She's in a seemingly stable, loving, boring even, uh, marriage with Don, played by Tobias Menzies, a therapist who is disengaged in his work, seems bored um, and really not present. We even see his clients remarking to his face uh, at their unimpressedness. They have one newly adult son, the storyline of whom is completely uncompelling. Beth's writing her first novel, the follow-up to her really successful memoir, Um, but it's needed heaps of revisions. She's not feeling confident about it. She's struggling, you know, with the follow-up to a successful first work. Uh, She's also struggling with her age, but she is reassured by her husband. He tells her that he loves it. He tells her that it's great, but she soon overhears him saying that he doesn't actually like the book. 
And this is the movie. What happens when we learn of these small betrayals, these seemingly small events that really do threaten our relationships and our trust? And I guess it's also looking at, you know, do we need our partner or our close relationships to love our work? Is that is that important? That's another question that it poses. So not much happens in this movie, really. It plays out exactly like you expect. You know, there's this conflict, um, the learning of the betrayal, and eventually a nice resolution. Uh, but it is just nice to kind of watch the relationships and the acting play out on screen. Julia Louis-Dreyfus with the mum character and Dreyfus with her sister as well are real highlights. Julia is always just such a joy um, to watch for me. She has great timing, great charisma. I really believe her. The men in the film, however, were pretty uninspired. The performance from the actor of the husband isn't remarkable. I kind of get that the character is supposed to be this bored guy, but nothing pulls me in about him. And I already mentioned the thing about the son character in that relationship as well. Boring. A lot of the movie is Beth and her sister just hanging out, watching that relationship and how they talk through and deal with this betrayal. And I've read that this is something that Holofcener does really well. I like movies like that, you know, that look at family dynamics without going super heavy or dealing with a massive, huge crisis. Uh, So this movie does that for me, for sure. So yes, it's one of those movies where it doesn't seem like a whole heap happens. Uh, But we do get some comic relief from the clients of Don, the therapist husband. In particular, a couple. The husband is played by David Cross, who's always fun to watch. We only see this couple as they sit across from Don on the couch in his office as they just bicker and and jab but the jabs aren't just reserved for each other they even poke at don to do something you know stop sitting there and just watching them fight anyways this couple are finally united towards the end of the movie when they come in to their appointment and they ask don for their money back for all of the sessions that they paid for Uh, where he just offered no help. So it's kind of fun to watch this side plot, which is another romantic relationship that we kind of get a look at throughout the movie. There's another scene where the weed shop that the son works at gets robbed. Like, weed shop. Ugh, I kind of hate when movies are brought into 2023. But, you know, anyways. Beth and another worker are also there at the weed shop that the son works at, and it gets robbed. And this moment felt superfluous when I watched the movie at first, but being robbed at gunpoint would probably be, you know, a life-altering event. The way that it's made to feel very insignificant within the plot of the film is interesting, and on reflection, I like that choice. You know, it's casting these big kind of events aside. We just look at the small stuff, which I like. I'm probably not going to seek out this film again, I'd sit down and watch it with my mom. I'd watch it if it came on the TV. But it's enjoyable, funny. It's relatable if you've been in you know, a long-term relationship, if you're a creative, probably. Uh, it's not too heavy. And I love watching Julia Louis-Dreyfus. It's fun to watch the women and their relationships play out. But I feel that the men in this film are subjugated to this bumbling or like boring uninteresting thing which is honestly so played out in the year of our lord 2023 it's just so boring to watch you hurt my feelings it comes in at a tight 93 minutes it's a fun watch particularly if any of the things i spoke about kind of interested you i guess 
I don't even know if I've done a movie review. I don't really consume movie reviews. I don't even really consume that many movies. So I don't know if I've just done like a synopsis. But it's one of those movies that's kind of mostly about the characters and the relationship. So I don't know. Anyways, You Hurt My Feelings, the new one from Indie Darlings A24. Have they done it? I don't know. You decide. Greg, you write of being inspired in your book, The Disaster Artist, of, uh, by watching Legends of the Fall early in your career. Have you watched anything recently that had a similar effect on you? This is probably going to sound weird. Um, <laughs> movie last year that came out that I really uh, was one of my favorite movies of the year was a movie called Pearl. <laughs> oh. You guys seen oh. that? Please, Lord, make me the biggest star the world has ever known so that I'll make you Caring for your family during these times is admirable. But you only get one take at this life. If only they would just die. Pardon? Nothing. Is it, uh, is it, is it the prequel to X? Yeah. Yes, yeah, yeah. I have seen that. Yes. Yeah. Uh, yeah I don't know if I'd maybe say it's inspired, <laughs> but um, I really love what they did with that film because it was uh, very like simple character-based premise that uh, I went to go see with no expectations at all on like 11 a.m. matinee. Perfect time for a horror film. And I really loved um, the feel of it and the the way it made me feel afterwards. So probably not as romantic as Legends of the Fall, but I that was a movie that I really, really enjoyed. And Greg, uh, in terms of producing or acting, what's, what's next? What's in the pipeline? Uh, I've, I've heard rumors of uh, a room remake. Is that true? Or? Yeah. So we um, earlier this year we did a, a shoot for charity where we shot the room in one day, and Bob Odenkirk played Johnny. I played Chris R. Chris uh, R. Bella Heathcote played Lisa. She was great. Um, she was in Neon Demon and a few other films. So yeah, it was a one day thing on a green screen, uh, and we're gonna hopefully you guys get to see it soon. It was very surreal to see. Bob Odenkirk say some of those lines the way he approached it. So it was done with uh, again a lot of appreciation for the room. It was Bob Odenkirk's one of my favorite favorite actors. So to get to work with him was, but you know, making a so called bad movie and then ended up working with an amazing actor. I don't know how these things work out, but it was a really fun gig. And then uh, yeah, I'm making a UFO abduction film next. Okay, so. huge, very cool. <laughs> yeah, that would have been unbelievably surreal. I'm sure. It's probably similar in some way, I would imagine, to Seth Rogen and James Franco's adaptation of your book, The Disaster Artist. Sure. I used to know a girl. She had a dozen guys. One of them found out about it, beat her up so bad, she ended up at a hospital on Guerrero Street. <laughs> what a story, Mark. Cut. Why don't we go one more time and uh, let's just get a different reaction to the story, okay? Uh, let's, uh, let's roll. We'll tail slate. Rolling. Okay. Everyone set? Yeah. Ready and uh, action. I used to know a girl. She had a dozen guys. 
One of them found out about it, beat her up so bad, she ended up at a hospital on Guerrero Street. <laughs> what a story, Mark. Cut. Oh, God. What's it like watching somebody be you? Well, what was weird was when I was writing the book, I always imagined that story as a film. I thought, you know, you're in this thing that people could say it's a bad movie, but I knew somewhere within that story with my experience was a good film. So I, I was, that was sort of the pipe dream. I was working on the book. I had a picture of Javier Bardem, like from No Country for Old Men as Tommy. And then the movie Drive, I had Ryan Gosling as Greg. So that was sort of what I was picturing. And I had this whole cast lined up in my mind. Um, just thinking, you know, this, this story is a movie. So when James called and said, I, you know, I see this story, I'll, you know, I'll play Tommy. My brother will play Greg. It sort of clicked, but even then, still going to set, seeing it become a reality, of course, was surreal and therapeutic in a lot of ways, especially mm. when I go to set and you'd have Sharon Stone playing my agent at the time, Brian Cranston playing himself. It was like all these, in in those same locations you lived in, like we filmed at the same diner that Tommy gave me the script, the same table. So it was like going back and expensive therapy. I felt like that's sort of what it... <laughs> It cleared up any of these thoughts at the time where you were, you know, lack of hope and all that. It made me say, hey, you know what, whatever you're doing now, whatever moment you're in, that could be, that could mean something to somebody or it could be an important moment. So make sure to live it. Is there a good relationship with the rest of the cast? I mean, nobody else really knows the experience like them, you know, like what you've been through. Yeah, I think we were lucky. We had a cast who really gave it their all. When you that's one of the things watching the room more this year, you know, from Lisa to Denny to Chris, like they all really gave their all. I think that's what makes the movie watchable. Is everybody who's in it is just trying to do the trying to do it justice, and they all had a great attitude about it. I think it makes things a lot easier when you don't expect something. You just don't think it's going to go anywhere, and then it works. I think it's a lot easier attitude than really believing in something, having it not go anywhere. So all the actors had a great attitude when people started loving this movie. It was just a total surprise to them. It was kind of a gift. Your projects like Best Friends, like you, you mentioned, the sense of it coming off earlier projects with that, you know, believing it might not go anywhere. I would imagine you'd probably hope that the things that you do now <laughs> go somewhere, you know. So, do it's, you, it's better luck if you don't. So, oh. I've got, so do you, yeah, do you go into it with a sense of like, whatever? No, I think you just, you from every project you make, you hopefully learn something, you get better, mm. you... The, the key ingredient for any project to do, you got to believe in it and you got to have fun making it and you got to give it your all. Outside of that, it's completely out of your control. I mean, there's so many things that happen with the room from the spoons to the billboard, like everything had to line up and like that's just not going to happen every film. So all you can control is the people you surround yourself with. Like you just try to tell a good story. I think that's really what, it comes down to and so everything i've done since the room from the book i just try to like enjoy the process of telling a story because that's all 
that's really what it should be about. I think if you're doing mm-hmm. acting as a job or you're looking at it as like art doesn't want to be forced into something. It wants to breathe. It wants to um, just have like a sincere message. So whatever I try to do, whether it's UFO abductions or this horror movie I made, I try to have fun making it. Cause if you have fun making something more than likely that's going to translate. So yeah, I mean, it's, it's, with anything, you don't want to get your hopes up. You you know, you don't want... I, with the room, it was, again, sort of a gift. It's like the things you you don't put that hard energy in that you're forcing to succeed, those are kind of the things that work. But if you asked uh, Tommy, Greg, about the room, um, you'd get a slightly different answer, would you not? You'd, you'd hear potentially that it was always going to be... Okay. I don't know. He he did say, I never expect, my God, 10 years, like at that <laughs> time. I think he thought he was going to make it and then move on to the next project. Okay. So, but it just took a lot of work. You know, he puts like, just kept promoting it and kept promoting it. And, you know, once it's so hard to get a movie to track. And I think once it tracked, it was like, you got to keep, keep building it. Uh, so I don't think he, he expected 20 years, but I think he thought, I think he, he expected Oscars, but didn't expect it to go on this long. <laughs> Just in terms of the learning that you get from project to project and that sense of fun that you have there, do you, do you reckon Tommy's getting better at acting? I think he, um, I mean, to me, what makes Tommy so fascinating, especially in the room, is just how sincere he was. And I think with any performer, anytime you get more success or more known, I think it affects the way you see yourself, although you sort of become a circus animal because you know what the people want. Mm. So I think he's become more comfortable with himself. I know when we made Best Friends, he was definitely more comfortable in front of the camera, was willing to take more risks. The Room, to me, is my favorite version of Tommy because that's just sort of the most innocent, vulnerable version of... So I think he's probably become more comfortable with himself, but his watchability, I think, to me, was my favorite in The Room. So, Greg, The Room, 20th anniversary. It's screening tonight at the Hayden Orpheum in Cremorne. You're doing a live uh, commentary over the movie. Can I just quickly ask, how is that going to work with a room screening with a raucous Um, crowd? So, I, yeah, basically I'm just going to watch the movie with the amazing crowd at the Orpheum and I'm going to just kind of offer up some tidbits of, you know, how old was Denny supposed to be and... (laughs) some of the weird parts making of the sex scenes and just there's just things that happen in the movie that I think people like, obviously there's so much going on little moments that are crazy that I've all focus on and I'll definitely duck out during the sex scenes, but yeah, I'm just going <laughs> to basically hang out with the mic and we're just all going to kind of watch it together. Beautiful. Well, head along and also um, definitely read Greg's book, the disaster artist, watch the movie, the room, best friends. Retro Puppet Master. Maybe skip that one. Skip that one. <laughs> UFO. UFO Abduction uh, coming soon. Yeah, Forbidden Sky. And then there's also Forbidden a horror Sky. movie I made called Miracle Valley. Miracle well. Valley. It's about Valley. a real life cult. On Hulu or? It's on Prime and Prime. Tubi. Tubi. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah. To be or not to be. <laughs> Greg Sestero, actor, filmmaker, model, author. What a pleasure it's been to have you on Meet the Movies. Thank you so very much, Greg Sestero. Thank you, guys. That was Greg Sestero. You're listening to Meet the Movies on FBI Radio. And now to our roaming reporter, live at the Darwin VMAX. Mitchell, can you hear us? Yep, yep. I can hear you guys. Uh, So, Napoleon was 
kind of what I was expecting. Uh, it's a, an epic. It's an epic blockbuster uh, made by Ridley Scott, a seasoned filmmaker. So, as you'd expect, it does hit it, push all the right buttons in terms of uh, huge battles, scenes. You know, a lot of scope in the battles, a lot of carnage. Um, but ultimately, unlike some of his grander works like Gladiator, it's pretty fucking boring. You, you'll find yourself un- well. I found myself unengaged in a lot of uh, parts, which a lot of it was due to probably the way his life was portrayed or the way it was relayed you know, through love letters between his uh, himself and his wife, which was quite a toxic relationship uh, and difficult to have at the centre of story because of that it's not able to focus on the other aspects of his life like his military genius it's not able to focus on his ambition or uh, his rise to power during the revolution um, and then ultimately how he betrays it. It, it can't even focus really on the relationship itself particularly well because um, they're just like pen pals and uh, you don't see much of anything we see with the wife herself is uh, through the lens of their relationship and how uh, generally awfully experiences but somehow how they're smitten with each other this does lead to some pretty hilarious sex scenes uh, between the two um, some very strange interactions with his wife um, is Napoleon played by Joaquin Phoenix who is grinding my gears a bit in the last few films he's been in uh, things like The Joker and Bo is Afraid he seems to be almost typecast now as this like uh, autistic freak in a lot of films that can't seem to relate to people particularly well uh, which maybe is why he was cast in this role um, but it does break immersion a little bit for me now because I can't tell what should be Napoleon and what's just uh, Joaquin playing the same role um, but still leads to some of the funnier moments in the film I don't know if all of them were intended um, but a lot of the sex scenes definitely were basically a beautiful mind but for a military genius instead of a maths one so in summary a detestable, prolific fuck fiend who killed many of his countrymen accidentally and whose story is not told in a particularly charming way. I'd probably just rather watch a documentary of it. Not a film that I would recommend, but if you've got free tickets or something, yeah, go ahead and check it out. Meet the Movies 